I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You're the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. I'm Randy Robinson here, and I have a, I have a confession for you. Uh, I'm, when you write books, uh, as I, I do, and I'm a little behind on some schedules, uh, <laughs> it's just a lot harder than it seems, I think, for some people like me. But when, when you write books, you know, you, I go into it, uh, you know, pretty open, like, what do, what do I want to write about? And I have all these ideas. I've got, like, pages of half-baked things. One of the things that I thought several years ago, I was like, you know, I really want to write this book. And it was on the, the rest of the 12 apostles. Uh, you know, we know Matthew, we know John, we know Simon Peter. You get down into some of most people cannot even name them uh, and, and what happened to them. And so the research I, I started doing, I, I thought, man, there's just not a lot on these guys, which is very interesting to me why do we not know more about what happened to them there's a lot of legends some of them have multiple graves and things like that so it's like what's true i don't know well uh i I bailed on that one but fortunately um someone who is a, a bible scholar did not bail on that idea and put together a book that i find very very interesting it is called the biographies of jesus apostles Apostles, apostles looks just like this. Uh, it's written by James Allen Mosley. It's available wherever you get books. So if this interests you, you can certainly follow up and get into the details. But we're going to talk about some of that uh, and see what we know, what we don't know, what we think might have happened, but we're not sure. Uh, and so appreciate you guys being here, Judy. Good to see you. Anyone else watching live out there? You want to be a part of the conversation? Jump in the chat if you're on a chat enable channel. Uh, and again, if you're watching the replay, we do appreciate your nice comments. I delete the mean ones. James, good to have you on Life Today Live. Well, Randy, thank you for having me. I'm really, it's really a pleasure to be here. So I, I kind of presented my problem when I started going down this road. Now, I read several books. Um, yours was not out yet, um, but several on, you know, the, the fate of the apostles. Uh, and they were thin books. Um, where did you even go to start to research this? Well, what happened to me was I was teaching for 10 years an adult theology class, uh, teaching the Bible all the way through. Mm -hmm. And when I came to the New Testament, I really had to stop cold because what I found was as I began with the Gospels, there were apparent discrepancies that I absolutely had to resolve before I could go on and harmonize all the Gospels. Mm -hmm. And that led into Acts and that led into the epistles. And one of the things that really uh, was an enriching resource was taking note of all the chronological markers that exist in the Bible, and there are many, many of them, which we normally just bleep over. So when you read the the, the, the Gospel of John, you see that uh, you know they met on the River Jordan, and then the next day, the next day, the next day, and then there's the wedding of Cana. Well, when you tar start to string all those things together, facts about the apostles' lives start to jump out because now you start to realize, okay, this is where they had to be for this event. Mm -hmm. This is where they had to be for that event. Then these events happened in between. Well, how much geography did they have to cover? Yeah. And 
what who had to be there when they got there and then suddenly the the whole picture the tapestry of their lives begins to all come together in addition to that so in other words the 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 epistles and the um and 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 the the, the gospels are rich are more rich in material than i suspected hmm. so when i began to dredge through things i found that was true for example when we put when we use that kind of analysis of the bible we find out that there's a there's an early church tradition that peter founded the church in rome right well if he did that when could he have done it now when we look at all the places that he has to be because we can tell that the bible definitely says he's here he's there mm -hmm. at those times mm -hmm. we realize the only opportunity for him to do that was in the year 43 mm -hmm. which is very early now, the early tradition also is that Mark went to Italy with Peter. Now, Mark has an interesting name. Mark is a very Roman name, Marcus. Mm -hmm. And his, his other name is John, John Mark. John is a very Jewish name, suggesting that perhaps he had a Roman father mm -hmm. and suggesting mm -hmm. that he spoke Latin, which the early church fathers say that he did. Mm -hmm. And they say that he went to Italy, acted as Peter's interpreter, and Peter also went to Italy for another reason. Simon Magus, the one where Peter said, "Silver and gold have I not." You know, you're you're, you're trying to you're trying to use the power of God to gain money, yeah. and he condemned Simon Magus. Mm -hmm. Well, according to ancient sources, biblical and extra biblical, Simon Magus went to Italy, and continued his profane uh, ministry, his magical ministry, and Peter went to to shut him down, and he did. And the Emperor Claudius apparently um, erected a, um, a statue in honor of Simon Magus on the island in the Tiber. <laughs> but Peter went, defeated Simon Magus, debunked him, founded the church. And when Peter was about to return to Judea, the Italians said, please don't leave us without a record. So the early church fathers say that Mark wrote his gospel at that time hmm. and that he didn't record all the events in order, but he recorded them topically, and that Peter himself reviewed Mark's gospel and approved of it. Hmm. Now, once we know that, there's something else that emerges. If Mark actually wrote the gospel in 43, it was a few years later that he accompanied Paul and Barnabas to Cyprus on the first missionary journey, and then to southern Turkey. And we know that Mark abandoned them. Hmm. And Paul was angry about it. Did, did you, but why would he do that? Can we infer anything? Did, well, probably wasn't because he was scared of the bandit-ridden territory, because he'd already traversed that with Peter a few years before. The year before, in fact. Okay. Maybe it was because he had his gospel. The Holy Spirit designated Barnabas and Paul to go on this journey, but the Holy Spirit didn't designate Mark. And maybe Mark felt, well, hey, guys, here's my gospel. Go with it, run with it, enjoy it on the first missionary journey. But I've got other work to do that the Holy Spirit gave me to do. Hmm. And the early church fathers also say that he founded the church in Egypt. And once again, when we look at where did he have to be when, it was probably right about that time. So I infer, I can't prove it from scripture, right, right. but I infer that it is, it, is, it is a reasonable theory that Mark left Paul and Barnabas because he went to found the church in Egypt Interesting. with his gospel in hand. Interesting. Um, and how, and much, how much later was that? I thought you said a few hundred years later, but I know you didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't. So that's the amazing thing. People say, well, the Gospels were written, you know, years afterwards, generations oh. afterwards by people pretending to be the apostles. Right. No, 
very the evidence all uh, compounds to strongly suggest that Mark wrote it in 43 AD, yeah. a mere 10 years after the resurrection. Interesting. Okay. Uh, one question on, on, on the book, because we have, you know, sort of the pickup where Jesus calls the, the 12, and then, you know, we get through the, the crucifixion, resurrection, the ascension, and into Acts, um, but doesn't the trail for a lot of them go pretty cold after that? How far do you, how far do you follow them? Well, if we... We we have evidence in a couple of, couple of places. We have evidence in the book of Acts. We have evidence in the <clears throat> epistles. Yeah. And in the epistles, particularly Paul, gives a lot of autobiographical detail. But he also gives some biographical detail. For he says, you know, the other apostles are allowed to travel with their wives, like Barnabas and Peter. So we mm-hmm. pick up that clue. Peter's traveling, and he's mm-hmm. traveling with his wife. Mm-hmm. Then the other body of information we have is that written by the early church fathers. Now, we can't always rely on them. But we can. What you find is that when you look at the look at the writings that are closest to the time of Christ, those tend to sound and seem more reliable. When we get into the Middle Ages, um, there are there are books about yeah. the about the apostles that get to be very fabulous, <laughs> right, and very, and, very, and very mythical. So I tend to discount those. But the cool thing about the early fathers, like Hippolytus of Rome and uh, and and Eusebius and Jerome is that whenever they refer to the Bible, they tend to be quite accurate. And whenever they refer to each other, they tend to be quite accurate. Hmm. So I give them some, I give them some, some, uh, some credence. Yeah. Does, do, do you give much to the writings of Josephus? I'm curious. I do, except that uh, one of the things that I had to deal with with Josephus is I, people use Josephus to prove that the Bible is in error, but they shouldn't do it. They should use the Bible to prove that Josephus has errors. For example, Josephus, who lived very close to the reign of the emperor Tiberius, actually gives three different lengths to the reign of Tiberius in his own works. So he contains contradictions. And when we look at things like, um, you know, when Quirinius was governor of, of, of Syria, people try to use Josephus to show that Luke couldn't have been right. But if you do it the other way around, <laughs> use the Bible yeah. to contrast against Josephus, you find Luke was dead on. And and wasn't Josephus being paid by the Romans? So there's some uh, bending of the truth maybe in their favor. Yeah, Josephus um, was supported by the Romans. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that he, I, I don't know if he was actually paid to write the account, but I do know this, that he escaped um, being killed by the Romans, went over to their side, negotiated for the Romans with the Jews yeah. during the siege of Jerusalem, trying to get them to surrender. Yeah. Yeah. And then he wrote his two books, which were very favorable to the Roman Flavian dynasty. Exactly. <laughs> because he was basically his patrons yeah yeah a, l- a little bias going on there okay well that's not what we're talking about just i'm curious i've read all those works and so the, those those interest me uh which um, of the 12 apostles maybe surprised you when you started digging up some things and you know uh, again the the a lot of these aren't absolute things that outside of scripture we're not 100 percent sure but what, what what story maybe jumped out at you about one of the 12? Well, there are several stories, but I think I would answer that in a slightly different way. The first thing that I would say is what really 
surprised me was the relationships of Jesus to all these disciples. Mm. So when we look, for example, at the gospel lists of the women at the cross and who they were and whose mothers or relatives they were, mm. we find out that it is almost certainly true that James and John, the son of Zebedee, were first cousins of Jesus. And that James the less was a second cousin of Jesus. Oh, wow. And since Mary was 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 dominating the wedding of, wedding of Cana, and since the earliest sources suggest that um, Simon the Zealot may have been the um, bridegroom at the wedding of Cana, and the early sources say that his father was Cleopas, and Cleopas was the uh, brother of Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus. Now we see that Simon was probably also a relative of Jesus. Then we have two disciple, two disciples whose father was named Alphaeus. And I at first questioned, wait a minute, Matthew is the son of Alphaeus, Matthew Levy. And James is the son of Alphaeus. Are they possibly brothers? And then I researched some of the earliest Christian writings who said they were brothers. Huh. So imagine, and, and and Simon may have been their brother too, because hmm. Cleopas may have been another name for Alphaeus. Now think of that. Jesus puts a Levite who has broken with the Jews and is serving Rome to collect taxes, which, by the way, is a very brutal practice. Yeah. It's not gentle at all. And then you have Simon the Zealot, who's trying, who wants to overthrow the Romans and, th and kick them out of Judea. And then you have the middle James, and they all could be the sons of the same father and cousins of Jesus. He can put a zealot and a traitor in his team and create a unified mission under God, which I wish we could do in our country today. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. It, it's, this is just fascinating to me, and, and I love the, the history and uh, the methodology of, of kind of stringing it together. I'm curious about one in particular because I think he gets a bad rap, uh, and I kind of I kind of like him, <laughs> and that's that's Thomas, uh, also, oh, yeah. also known as Bartholomew, yeah? Um, uh, Thomas is, no, Bartholomew is Nathaniel. Nathaniel, okay. Uh, Thomas full Thomas full name is is Judas Thomas Didymus. Didymus, that's what I was kind of. Okay. There were a bunch of Judases, <laughs> and they don't get called Judas because no one wants to get confused. <laughs> <It's scary. with> Peter, <laughs> yeah. But Didymus means Didymus. Toma in Aramaic means twin, yeah. and Didymus means twin. So his real name is Judas the twin. Huh? Do we know? Do we know what happened to him? Because I know there's a couple of different stories. It is, it is very likely that he went to the east. It is very likely that he went to Armenia and to Syria and to India, India. and was martyred in India. Okay. In, so in, in yeah. India. And he was apparently killed by a local king for getting into trouble in a way that some of the other apostles also got into trouble. And that was, uh, Andrew was another one, where he, Thomas convinced the wife of the um, local king to turn to Jesus. <laughs> and the local king was very upset with it because, you know, he was not only the ruler, but he was the connection between his country and the gods. Mm. And now his wife has abandoned, had abandoned the local gods and had become a Christian. So he did everything possible to persuade her to abandon Christ. She wouldn't. And so he took it out on Thomas and wow. said, either you convince her to come back or you die. And so this is the story. I wouldn't put the the 
imprimatur of, of, of scripture on that sure. because it's an early story, but it is early enough and there are enough of them that say the same thing that kind of suggests it's probably true. And I, if I remember correctly, there are still some things in India uh, referencing him, some uh, maybe churches or, or graves or something. I mean, so we still see some evidence that if it, if it wasn't true, there was some influence there. Yeah, I, I lived in India for two years, and huh. there is there is a church uh, su- uh, supposedly founded by the Apostle Thomas, and there was a stamp, a postage stamp, produced in the 1970s by the Indian government commemorating the Apostle Thomas. <laughs> and when the Portuguese first sailed to the east in the 16th century, they were delighted on the Malabar coast to discover colonies of Christians, but then they were horrified, uh, founded by the Apostle Thomas himself, but then they were horrified when they discovered that these heretics had never heard of the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a whole other discussion. And I know a lot right. of the a lot of the uh, stories, at least, um, whether true or not, uh, at least some some places you can run down come from a lot of the early Catholic Church fathers. So, I mean, it's an interesting thing. All right, I want to show people your uh, a couple things. This is the book. The Biography of Jesus' Apostles by James Mosley. Uh, and this is the website for the Bible History Guy. That's James, the Bible History Guy. So there's if you're if you're into this like I am, I love this kind of stuff. I can go through this all day long. Uh, it's just it's just fun. Um, and I don't ever fear uh, history or archaeology, things like that, because I I, I I'm 100% confident that the more we learn about the history and about the archaeology, and granted, it's it, the scientific process is one of guesses that you have to prove wrong. That's the scientific method. I postulate a theory, prove it wrong. There's going to be some wrong theories out there. That That's the necessity of science. But I'm not afraid of running down these things because I think we just get closer and closer to the truth, and I think the truth is rock solid. So... I think Christians could be the most fearless people in the areas of, of science and when it comes to digging things up out of the earth and researching history. I think we, we get closer to the truth. You just have to hold them loosely, these, these theories loosely. And as James says, start with the Bible. Uh, have you found any error in Scripture, James? Let me ask you that. No, I haven't. <laughs> uh, I started out as a non-Christian. I was not an atheist, but I was a non-Christian. And I attempted to find the truth in pretty much every other major religion. Really? I studied very deeply. I, I read the Quran, where I probably know it better than most Muslims know it. The problem was with other religions, I found that it was like picking up a telephone. And not only was God not on the other end of the phone, there wasn't even a dial tone. <laughs> so I finally, out of frustration, turned to the court of last resort, went to a church, heard an altar call. And if I had been God, I would have been just put off by the kind of prayer that I prayed because it wasn't really awfully repentant or worthy. Now, this comes from a person right now. I can I can get into tears thinking about my salvation right now. But at that time, I was sitting in the church and I said, well, God, if you're out there and this guy is right, that I just have to walk to the altar and accept Jesus into my life. I'm kind of open. <laughs> that was it. I didn't repent. And I, I had I had things to repent of like all of this. But God was so compassionate. This little light went on in my heart. 
and uh, it, it just never went off. I, be, I began to think, well, this is like, you know, mantras in a Buddhist shrine. It'll go away. But it didn't. <laughs> and then I realized my heart had been saved, but my mind hadn't. Mm. So I began to try to figure out which was going to win, my overeducated brain or the Bible. <laughs> and I found that all my supposed education turned out to be just puffery and arrogance <laughs> and the battering rams of the enlightenment kept splintering against the impregnable gates of the bible until i finally came to the point where it is inerrant and so when i started my ministry i've had lots and lots of people bring skeptical questions to me and i find out they run out of gas right after about 30 to 50 objections if you look at my website i, I tried to collect every objection i ever heard to the bible and post a blog answering it and once they're done with those it's over there's no discrepancy in the bible whatsoever um even the even the most difficult uh seeming seemingly challenging seeming discrepancies hmm. turn out to reconcile perfectly i love it uh, and by the way when they don't, I think it's because we got something wrong. And you'll find this even in churches. Uh, there are some people that hold to things in churches that they just don't line up. So it's it's okay. Don't, just keep keep going down that path. I love that God did that in you uh, because the people, some of the most stubborn, hardest to reach people are the people that are smart, you know. Uh, and I think he does this, and God does this, so that you can reach people like you, you know, not everybody's going to get my wife would be like, I, you know, you don't have to prove that to me. I believe she's got the faith of a child, you know, childlike faith in, in a positive sense. Um, but me, I'm the guy that has to figure everything out that wants answers to the questions. And so I, I'm just I'm thankful for people like you that walk that same path. Uh, I do. You mentioned something about your education and all being puffery. And that, that reminds me of another guy who called himself an apostle who was not one of the 12. And that's Paul. In your book, uh, do you do you follow Paul or do you stick to the original no, I, 12 or 13? Not only, follow, not only do I follow Paul, I think it's very, very important to follow Paul because of what is significant outgrowth he is in the apostolic ministry. But not only do that, I give biographies of all the major figures in the New Testament, including all the gospel authors, Joseph Barnabas, Titus, Timothy, and so on. Nice. And I also nice. mention, I have a little section where I mention every named person in the New Testament and everything we know about that person. So if you run across Trophimus or Tychicus and you wonder, <laughs> Where did he come from? <laughs> right. You can go to that section, you can find every reference. But Paul is, an, is, is intriguing. I mean, obviously, we all know he's intriguing, but he's intriguing in ways that I had not suspected. So I remember reading a book by some scholar whose name I forget, who said that the um, intertwining of the details of Paul's early life are so disjointed and confusing in the Bible that it is impossible to put together a coherent biography of Paul. Well, <clears throat> I always say that conclusions are where a lot of people end up when they get tired of thinking. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you take the evidence, if you dredge through the Bible and take the evidence in all the writings, the epistles of even Peter and, 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 and others, and you take those and you take Acts and you take Paul's writings and you put them all together. And what I would do, by the way, my method would be this, 
whenever I was studying something, I would take every scrap of scripture that I could find that pertained to what I was studying, put it in a Microsoft Word document, create a table, put them all side by side, look at the Greek, figure out, are there any discrepancies? Are there any, uh, are, are there any things that emerge that I didn't suspect before? For example, Paul gives three accounts of his conversion. And a lot of scholars will say, uh, well, like Bart Ehrman, skeptics will, will, will say, well, that proves that the Bible has errors in it. But when you lay them all, when you interlace those three, you find there's no contradiction. Paul has simply observed his own conversion from slightly different angles and am amplified or emphasis, emphasized different things depending on his audience. You, know, you have to do that. I mean, like the Emperor Charles V said, I speak Spanish to God. Um, French to men, Italian to women, and German to my horse. He understood that you have to, you have to, you have to modify what you're saying and how you're saying it according to your audience. And Paul did that. Yeah. But when we look at all the evidence of Paul's life, and we don't get tired of seeking or thinking, so we end up with the right conclusion. We find that Paul's story is quite amazing. Yeah. He came to people say it's Saul of Tarsus. He was born in Tarsus. He was not born in Tarsus. He was, he, I mean, he was, he was not, he, he did not um, born, born in Tarsus. He came, he was born in Galilee hmm. and his father in the year when he was about five years old, when the Romans overtook Galilee was so put off by that, that he moved the family to Tarsus and started a tent making business there, which is a little odd because his father was a Roman citizen. So you would have thought that for some reason he would have been a top dog in Galilee when the Romans came, but we don't know why he just didn't, he left. And when, and when Paul says that he was brought up in Tarsus, that's what he means. He was brought up. He wasn't yeah. born there. He came out of in the Greek word. Yeah. So he came to Jerusalem. But another thing we look at, when we look at chronology, when did he come to Jerusalem? Well, you have a lot of scholarly books out there saying he came a lot later than he probably did, or a lot earlier than he probably did. Some people say that he came as a very young man. Well, think about that. If Paul had come as a very young man, and if Paul was just probably about five years younger than Jesus, wouldn't his ardent curiosity or his passionate responses to theological challenges have had him pop up in history during Jesus' ministry? Probably, yeah. With all those arguments with the Jewish elite? <laughs> so it is almost certain that Paul arrived <clears throat> in Jerusalem shortly after the ascension. Hmm. And he, and he began his studies then, because then when we look at the other things, he's got to be at the Council of Jerusalem in 49, because Acts says he was there. Mm -hmm. He was one of the main, main presenters. Mm -hmm. We know that he's got to have already gone on his first missionary journey. We can look at how long it takes. I, what I would do is I would go to Google Maps and I would say, OK, he's going from Antioch to Derby. Um, how long does it take to walk that? Yeah. And there's a great resource online, Casson's Sailing Times of Ancient Ships. So you're sailing from Antioch oh, wow. to Cyprus, or from Cyprus to um, <clears throat> to southern Turkey. You can tell how long it takes to get to all these places. So you string it all together, and you realize, okay, that's how long the first missionary had to take. Maybe a day or two off, but there it is. So now you realize that what Paul did was he um, he went to Damascus. And after he was in Damascus, he began to preach a little bit, but then he went for three years to Arabia. Right. He says that. Where did he go? In, uh, now, where did he go in Arabia? So, I'm sorry? Where did he go in Arabia? Well, we don't know. Yeah, he doesn't know. say. Yeah. But would it be too crazy to think that he went to the mountain of God? 
that huh. he went to the same place Elijah went to, huh. and he spent and he spent his time. He spent his, the same place Jesus probably went to when he went into the wilderness. Hmm. I mean, kind of, maybe I don't know for sure, but that's possible. But anyway, he spent three years there. He came back to Damascus, began preaching again. The Jews went nuts. He's back again. The guy he was supposed to be arresting Christians. Yeah. They they threatened to kill him. King Aretas. The 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 uh, the king of Syria, uh, who is the ethnarch of the Jews, he um, he tries to kill him. Say, let him down out of the wall in a basket. Mm -hmm. He escapes to Jerusalem. He comes to Jerusalem. He meets Peter and a couple of one other disciple for fifteen days, and um, he says that he does, only does it for fifteen days because later on he claims I didn't learn about Jesus from them. Right. I, I met them and they affirmed that I had met Jesus directly. Yeah, yeah. So then he goes, he's in trouble again. So not for the first time, they scoot him out of, of Jerusalem to Caesarea and then to Tarsus. Same time he's in Caesarea, Peter is in Caesarea mm. converting Cornelius, the Roman centurion and his family. Now, can you imagine being Paul? And you've been converted now for over three years. And Jesus said, hey, you know, I'm going to make you the apostle to the Gentiles. Well, how come no one will listen to me? How come I don't? How come I don't have a ministry? I'm in Caesarea. You could have used me, Lord. Would you have to send Peter here to do this for? But he did. And he and, and he stayed now six years in Tarsus. So now he's nine years after his after his conversion, sitting there making tents. He's got to be wondering to himself. What's going on? Where, when is God going to use him? When Barnabas shows up from Antioch and says, we need you in the church. Yeah. So that's when he goes to Antioch and he teaches for a year and then they go on their first missionary journey. But that's the story of the early life of Paul that I've never read anybody sewing it together in that way, but it's right there in the ink on the pages of Scripture. Love it. Uh, and it, it's much more human and real when you understand, you know, because when you just hit the highlights, it's like seeing somebody's instagram page you think their life is just all these moments of greatness but there was a lot of a lot of very real stuff in there for them and i love that and by the way if you're watching now you know why i didn't go down this path it's a lot of work <laughs> and, and james has done the work uh and wow what a cool book i didn't actually get this one from the publicist james so i'm gonna have to go buy it because i gotta run these down this this just, this just gets me i have one last question for you and then i do have to run we have some broadcast shows to do but um how did such a small group of individuals change the world? Well, the thing of it is that the Holy Spirit was energizing them, and that's a power that it's impossible to underestimate. But when you think about the methods that they used, what they did was they approached Jewish communities. Now, in Jerusalem, the Jews had been dispersed several times in their history, mm -hmm. all throughout what was then the Roman and the Persian world. So they went to these synagogues and they preached in the synagogues. But don't forget, the synagogues were not just little local places that didn't move around. Because if you remember on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached, there were Jews from as far away as Rome and North Africa and mm -hmm. Persia and mm -hmm. the Black Sea, all in Jerusalem. Why? because they had four major pilgrimages a year. And everyone who could afford to do it came all the way from all across the world to Jerusalem. Well, those people heard 
the, the message of the church. And, you know, supposedly they were converted because apparently 3,000 were. Yeah. And they went back to Rome. And that's probably why Peter went to Rome is they probably sent a message and saying, come tell us more. Mm-hmm. So they kept going to these synagogues and it was a two-way street. They'd go to the synagogues. Some people in the synagogues would hate them and stone them and all that. (laughs) Some people in the synagogues would embrace them and become the first Jewish Christians. Mm. And then those people would make the pilgrimages back to Jerusalem. And when they did that, what happened along the road? They met people from all the other synagogues along the road. Mm. So I believe the Holy Spirit was using the Jewish um, network throughout the world not only to invigorate the growth of the church in the Jewish community, but to use the Jewish community to touch all the communities in which they were embedded. Remember, in the Roman Empire, the Jews represented 10% of the total population. They're not anywhere near that percent of the total population in any country today except for Israel. Hmm. And also interesting, if you understand the Old Testament, how God used what was the result of the Israelite sin in the diaspora and being conquered, being you know dispersed in all these places. He used that to spread the gospel, fulfilling yeah. his promise of the Messiah first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Very cool. Well, think one thing about this. Think about Paul was persecuting the church. And we read in Acts that because he was, his persecution was so severe that all except for the apostles scattered out of Jerusalem. But as they scattered, it also said they were spreading the word all along the way. (laughs) So Paul, thinking that he was going to crush this movement, actually caused it to explode, which is probably why he wanted to go to Syria. He said, let me go north to Damascus and cut this off at the pass. Oh, this is so cool. I love how it brings the scripture alive. Uh, And yeah, wonderful work. All right. I got to let you go, James. Um, is there anything I missed? Anything you want to mention before I let you go? I know you've got some fiction books out there too. If you got one quick second, I want to follow up on Thomas. You said Thomas gets oh. a bad rap. Mm-hmm. When Thomas asked to put his hands in Jesus' wounds, he didn't ask for anything different than what the other apostles exactly had right. asked for seven days earlier. That's he exactly didn't right. Show any, any more doubt? And he was the one apostle. When they were going, when Jesus was making his final trip to Jerusalem, he said, "Let's go with him, even if we have to die." Well, let's go die with. It's, you, oh, yeah, you know, see, I love Thomas because I'm the guy that I gotta see it. I, I gotta see it for myself. That's always been, you know, my attitude. And the beauty is, Jesus says, "Come, see, touch," and then yeah. that's when you believe. And you don't, you don't. There, there's no doubt in that. I mean, and and you're all right. Enough. Uh, this is so much fun. Thank you again. I appreciate it. I uh, appreciate your time and expertise. We'll, we'll have to talk again because I know there's a lot more we could cover, but thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Randy. Appreciate you guys out there. Uh, do check out the biographies of Jesus' apostles uh, and, and ambassadors and chains. We didn't get to talk about that. So you're going to have to pick up the book and find out more about that. But this is, this is fun. Uh, I love this. And so uh, I think you'll enjoy it too. This is the BibleHistoryGuy.com website where you can Take your challenges, someone who's already thought through them, uh, and and learn some interesting things about Scripture. Appreciate you guys being here. Hit that share or like button, and we'll see you again next time here on Life Today Live. This is God's Word, brother. It's God's Word.